Danica has been a leader at Big House for a very, very long time. And um, I got to live with Danica, and she's amazing. So she's going to share her story with us tonight, okay? Love you. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> All right. So I grew up in a Christian family, but this is far from how I came to faith. I was at church every Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but this was merely a facade to cover the brokenness happening behind the scenes. My smile hit a lot of pain taking place behind closed doors that no one would have ever guessed what my reality actually looked like. It wasn't until I was 15 that I encountered God for the very first time, and all that textbook Sunday school knowledge made its way from my head to my heart. You see, I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't know who he was to me. I had never experienced his love in a tangible way or believed he cared for me at all. In fact, I was at a point in my life where I questioned if God even existed or, at the very least, doubted his goodness. You see, sometimes God intervenes in our stories in ways so big and unexpected that it can only be orchestrated by him. I grew up number four in a family of five kids. My family consisted of my parents, an older sister, two older brothers, and my younger brother. My dad was a teacher, and my mom stayed home to raise us. When I was five years old, my little brother was born with severe disabilities. My brother was born with Down syndrome and required open heart surgery immediately after birth, along with several other major surgeries that followed. My parents spent months in Iowa City. He was already a surprise to my parents, but the shock of this further compounded those feelings. That's him. <laughs> Eventually, they brought him home, and my siblings and I were forced to get used to the reality of dividing attention, and that most of my parents' focus had to be solely devoted to him. Because of his demanding needs, we had to step up at a young age and learn how to help out where we could. Over time, it was clear he was not meeting many developmental milestones, even that typical of Down's children. Despite receiving some services, his steps backwards became more and more apparent. He was nonverbal, not potty trained, and required assistance in any activity of daily living. He drooled, made constant noises, and exhibited behaviors typical of profound autism. His mentality is comparable to that of an eight to 12 month old. He needed 24-7 supervision back then, and he still will for the rest of his life. It was sometime around this age that my brother, who's just two years older than me, started showing signs of aggression and displaying fits of rage. By the time he was in fifth grade and I in third, his behavior was totally unpredictable, unsafe, and out of control. It was scary to witness and even scarier to be in his line of fire. He was like a ticking time bomb, and you never knew what was going to set him off but she didn't want to be there when it did. He would explode over the smallest thing and a monster would come alive. My parents were trying to dis discipline him and get this under control, but with no success. Eventually, he was taking his anger out on basically anyone in the house except for my younger brother, both physically and verbally, but especially the weakest links, me and my sister. We were easy targets and he used this to his advantage. He would say the most hateful, degrading, belittling things to my mom and dad, he used every swear word in the book. He'd get into it with my oldest brother, who's two years older than him, and their fistfights would end in full-on brawls on the floor with things getting broken or destroyed. Unfortunately, his fury only grew stronger in time. His words were cruel, heartless, and senseless. 
And sadly, when you're a child hearing these twisted things day in and day out, you gradually start to accept these lies as truth. When the very people meant to love and protect you feed you lies, you begin to believe these horrific things about yourself too. You're uncertain of who you are, so you believe you must be who people say you are, and slowly you accept this as your identity. So I kept what was actually happening behind closed doors a secret to all of my friends. I didn't trust anyone, and I didn't want to disappoint or scorn my family. It felt heavy and shameful, and something to feel disgraceful about, as if it were my fault or I had done something to cause this. And that leads me up to where Jesus interceded in my mess to meet me right where I was at. It was Valentine's Day 2009, and I was a freshman in high school. My youth group was making the 10-hour trek to northern Minnesota to a camp called Inspiration Point for a retreat. It was an exciting escape, and there was always hype leading up to this weekend. But 15-year-old me had no idea how this trip was about to change my life forever. You see, this retreat was especially an escape for me, and I hadn't even realized it until I was there. An escape from the constant physical and verbal abuse that I was enduring at home. An escape from all the noise of a full house and nowhere to go. An escape from the stress that comes from living with special needs siblings. An escape from having to put a smile on my face and pretend that everything was all right when it was actually falling apart. It was nearing the end of that Saturday night worship service, and as the last song played, I sunk deeper and deeper in my seat, realizing that I didn't want to leave. I was carrying this heavy weight that was not mine to bear, and I was doing it alone. I was keeping secrets to protect the very people hurting me, and it was only hurting me more. Other students had all left, and the staff was wrapping up too, but something washed over me. I couldn't move. I felt frozen. Tears filled my eyes. I tried to make myself small, trying to hide, but she noticed me lingering in back. And that's when my Jesus with skin on responded to me with the greatest care, concern, and compassion I'd ever known. Six words. I uttered six words that night with the shakiest, most fearful word, voice I could muster. Words that I was scared to say. God gave me courage in that moment. Those words broke the silence of years and gave me the freedom to finally unleash massive pent-up trauma. It felt like chains falling off. It felt like floodgates had been opened. It felt like the first step in what would be a very long journey. Six words. I don't want to go home. For the next two hours, I spilled my heart and life story to a stranger who ended up being instrumental in leading me to Christ. Her name was Janet, and it turns out she was the director of the camp. I don't remember all the words I said, or even all of hers, but I do remember the overwhelming release of all these bottled up emotions. A huge weight was lifted off my chest that night. My secret was out, someone finally knew, and someone finally saw past the disguise I'd been wearing for so long. She listened while I cried, and she spoke truth over me and prayed. I knew after our conversation that I couldn't do this alone. There was no way I could, go, I could make it through these trials in my life without Jesus to help me along the way. He was and still is the only constant in my world filled with chaos and commotion. My circumstances fell out of my control, but realizing that he was there with me in my darkest moments somehow made it easier to bear. Going home felt like heading back into the fire. There would still be giants to face, but I wasn't relying on my own strength. 
I was trusting God to fight these battles that seemed too dangerous to do alone. So I returned, fully expecting everything to be the same. But it was different. No, nothing had actually changed, but something had changed inside of me. God had begun a healing work in my heart, and this was just the beginning. You see, my circumstances didn't get better once I accepted Christ, but that is never a promise he made. He never guaranteed us an easy life, but he promised he'd be with us till the end. In fact, the Bible says that in this world, we will have trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. We can endure these trials knowing that he is with us, and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Did you guys catch that? We can be sure that bad things are coming our way. If you haven't already, we will all experience hardships. None of us are immune from suffering. But in the midst of our pain, we can have hope that the living God is present in our pain and hurting with us just the same. When our hearts break, God does too. Over the next few years, things were still rocky, but my faith was my firm foundation. I started noticing God in other ways. I began seeing how my life had an impact on others and I could be a blessing to those around me. I still smiled as cheerful as ever, but it began to feel less like a disguise and more like genuine joy. I didn't need to hide my heart from him any longer because I knew God was walking through this with me. Little did I know I was about to go through one of the biggest storms of my life, and I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have my faith to lean on when things felt unbearable. Fast forward, it's three years later, and it's the middle of my senior year of high school. I found myself standing in the same shoes many of you are right now, making big decisions about my future and the path I was about to embark on. Life is still stressful and at times unbearable. My way of coping was spending as much time as I could away from home. I worked 20 to 25 hours per week outside of school at the grocery store. I'd work as much as possible because it offered me an escape. Not only did I feel needed, valued, and appreciated there, most of all, it was safe. I consumed myself with classes and sports. Academics and extracurriculars were my happy place. Areas I thrived in, found friends, and felt worth. I would go to school a little early or stay a little late just to be gone a little longer. I'd hit the gym after practice to exercise more or hide at the library after school to get things done in peace and quiet. I attended two youth groups during the week, my home church on Wednesdays and another on Sundays, and I still found time to spend countless hours with friends, especially on the weekends. In spite of all the things going well for me and all I had to be hopeful for, it still couldn't make up for the circumstances I dreaded returning home to every night. All that changed on a cold day in early February. I decided to take a stand for myself once and for all and say enough was enough. Things had been intolerable far too long, and I was desperate for a home that felt loving and safe. I didn't know who to turn to, what to do, or where to go. After months of sharing bits and pieces with my youth pastor and a few weeks of discussing options, he and his wife offered to take me in and be that safe place for me. They welcomed me into their family with open arms. They had four kids, and I was already friends with their oldest daughter. The day I moved in with Jason and Heidi was one of the greatest days of my life. I felt like I had gained a whole new family. They took me in, adopted me, and treated me like one of their own. I felt chosen and like I belonged. 
I learned what it meant to be part of a family for the very first time. A family who loves, cares, and looks out for one another. We prayed together each morning before everyone parted ways, and a home-cooked dinner was on the table every night. Conversations were intentional, and there, was, there were always other people invited into our home. Looking back, these are the small things that really mattered. Sure, we had tough conversations and moments too, like any parent would have with their teen. Like when I wanted to go to parties where people would be drinking, or I'd come home after my midnight curfew. But at the end of the day, I knew I had somewhere to come home to where I was wanted and deeply loved. There was grace for my mistakes and compassion in my failures. When trauma would resurface and put me in a mood, they were patient and kind to help me through it. They encouraged me to see the best in me when I couldn't see it for myself. And most of all, they always pointed me back to Jesus. I felt like one of the deepest longings of my heart had finally been met. But that day that changed my life so much for good, it also changed for the worst. It was February 6, 2012. My dad had been fighting a lingering cough for months. His dry rattle had grown worse to the point that he decided to get it checked out. His chest x-rays had already come back concerning a baseball-sized mass in his left lung and a spot on the other. That day, our worst fears came true, and the doctor confirmed it was stage four lung cancer. An unexpected diagnosis, a grim prognosis. It's moments like these that punch you in the gut. Your whole stomach drops. It takes your breath away and forms a lump in your throat. To say it was a shock would be an understatement. My dad was the healthiest man I knew. And despite everything I've told you about my family life, my dad was deeply rooted in his faith. He was devoted to God and set aside quiet time each day to read his Bible. And here he was with a death sentence set before him. It felt like a nightmare unfolding around me. This can't be happening, my mind kept repeating over and over. I wrestled with the gut-wrenching question of why bad things happen to good people. How something so horrific and terrible could be happening to someone so faithful. Someone with a family to still help raise and many life moments up ahead to see. I was now faced with a choice. Do I stay or do I go? I was hopeful this move was the right step and confident this is what I needed. And I was desperate for a stable home and healthy family. I ended up sticking to my original decision and I didn't look back to question. I did the best I could at the time with what I knew. I did what was right for me. Throughout that spring, I dealt with some of the worst anxiety I've ever had. When I would lay down for bed at night, my thoughts would race through my head, ruminating over every possible what if and worst case scenario, imagining every bad outcome. It was absolutely paralyzing. Looking back, I felt like a zombie only half alive. I was somehow functioning and making things happen. I was finishing deadlines and due dates, important scholarships and college application materials. But inside, I felt dead. Not only was I at a pivotal point in my life preparing to graduate high school and head to college at UNI in the fall, I was facing things no 17-year-old should have to face, dealing with the possibility of losing my dad. May 20th rolled around, and it was one of the best days of my life, the day of my high school graduation and my 18th birthday. 
At this point, my dad had been fighting cancer for over three months. He had tried various types of chemo and received several rounds of treatment, but hit roadblocks and standstills with all. His lungs would fill with fluid and further aggravate his cough and breathing, so we'd have to get them drained. I was just so happy. My dad felt good that day and was able to enjoy the day. I know he was proud watching me walk across stage and grateful he was there to witness it. That's us at my high school graduation. Throughout the summer, my dad grew sicker. He lost his hair just three days after my graduation. Slowly, he started to lose weight too. His thin frame grew frail and weak. By August, he was having significant trouble breathing, and this came at the cost of giving up the activities he enjoyed. He could no longer garden, ride his bike, or even drive. He could barely eat and keep it down. Most days were confined to the living room recliner. And although I was living elsewhere, I tried to spend time at home visiting him. But it was painful and hard to watch. Seeing one of the strongest people I knew in a position so weak and vulnerable was heartbreaking. I couldn't be there without tearing up. I'd feel more hopeless of his outcome every time I'd leave. This wasn't the way I wanted to remember my dad. Eventually, my visits grew fewer and farther between. One of the biggest regrets I've ever had to live with is the feeling that I wasn't there enough. Over the summer, I began to contemplate my plans for fall. Was I still making the right choice going to college two hours away? Would I be better off staying home and starting classes at community college? How could I leave my dad here knowing he was so sick and his fight could end at any time? I knew this wasn't what I wanted for myself, but all of my plans I was once so confident in came into question as my world started to shake. Those were plans I had made before my world turned upside down, but now my world seemed so uncertain. Again, I was forced to make a decision that seemed far beyond my years, ones that came at huge costs, ones I wasn't nearly ready to make. In the end, I stuck with my plan. I was happy and proud to follow in my dad's footsteps of going to you and I, and I think this brought him some peace and comfort too. At the end of August, I headed off to college, and in spite of everything going on back home, I blossomed. I was loving it. I was thriving in classes, joining clubs, and finding my place. I made friends instantly. It felt like a brand new beginning to reinvent myself and make the most out of this opportunity. My world was safe and structured, but it also seemed wide open. Everything seemed to be going right, and I couldn't be happier with this choice. Just two months later, on a warm day in late October, I got the call one morning that no one ever wants to get. I will forever remember my mom's words on the other end of the line. Your dad is going to die today. My dad was placed on hospice just six days before. He fell into a coma that morning, and I needed to make it home right now. That day was a blur, and yet there's moments that are crystal clear. Long story short, with my cousin driving, I made it home in time to tell him goodbye. We waited 12 grueling, agonizing hours for his pain to finally stop. My dad's fight here on earth may have ended that night, but my dad's time with Jesus was just beginning. The days that followed aren't super clear either, but I know I saw God show up. Psalm 34:18 became my refuge. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God was there in the midst of my grief and my pain. 
in meals from neighbors and calls and texts from friends. He was there when the line for my dad's visitation flowed out the church doors and into the parking lot. He was there on the days I didn't know how I'd ever live again. He was there with my dad when he took his last breath here on earth and his first breath in heaven. Thankfully, as Christians, we don't grieve without hope. What I mean by that is this. We have the hope and assurance of seeing our loved ones again someday because of what Jesus did on the cross. He bridged the gap of sin and death forever. He paid the price for our sins, a penalty we couldn't pay, so we can spend eternity with him in a perfect place. Even in the moments I was mad at God, and there were plenty, it felt impossible not to praise him at the same time for creating such a beautiful ending, for providing hope where there would have been despair. Romans 8:28 says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Did you guys hear that? He didn't say all things are good. Cancer isn't good. Losing someone isn't good. Failure and rejection and betrayal isn't good. When we're in the middle of a letdown, storm, or tragedy, it probably feels anything but good. But God has the power to take our darkest moments and turn them into something beautiful. He can use our trials to refine us and transform us into a closer image of himself. In the past nine years, I've encountered many more trials. There's been times I hit brick walls or stumbled through storms. There were more tragedies. But God has continued to show me his faithfulness time and time again by meeting me in my darkest moments. It never fails that he sends just the right person into my life at the right time, especially when I need to be pointed back to him. When I have felt distant, he has reminded me he's close. When I've been in moments of despair, he's given me signs of affirmation that he's with me. He has provided for my every need, and in doing so, reminds me of his goodness. One of the biggest obstacles God walked me through in the last few years has been facing my own mental health. In fact, as my grief and trauma caught up with me a couple years later, I found myself struggling in school. My anxiety and depression became so debilitating, I almost failed my classes and dropped out my senior year of college. I didn't realize the toll these negative, unhealthy thoughts were taking on my well-being and how it was hijacking my life. It took being vulnerable enough to admit I needed help in order to finally get better. Letting people in was not easy for me, and admitting I struggled with a battle in my mind was terrifying. But once I finally allowed the people God placed in my life to support and encourage me, when I didn't think I could go on, is when I was finally able to see the light and take the next step. And two and a half years later, with the support of amazing roommates and friends, I finally earned that degree. In the midst of all of this, it's important to not let what's happened to me become bigger than what Jesus did for me. I am not defined by my failures or mistakes, and neither are you. I'm defined by who my Heavenly Father says I am. My trauma and losses are part of me, but they don't get to rule me. Jesus is bigger, and he overcame these things on the cross. As time goes on, I've realized even more how important it is to have a relationship with Christ and be surrounded by others who help us grow in our faith. We all anchor ourselves in something where we place our priorities, focus, and identities. When your world shakes and the waves come, the best place your anchor can be is in Jesus. I don't know what your storms look like, and I'm not sure where your story has taken you so far. 
Maybe you grew up in a broken family as well, or you were hurt by the very people who were supposed to love you. Maybe you moved out to live in someone else's home, or you're all too familiar with this thing that death leaves. I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, or if he seems like some distant, far-off figure in your mind, or even if you want anything to do with him at all. But I can promise you this, he's with you in your darkest moments, he was there in every moment, and he's not going anywhere. I encourage you to let God come along with you for the ride. It's worth it. You won't regret it. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. Will you guys pray with me? (laughs) Dear God, I thank you so much for bringing each and every one of these students here tonight. And... um, showing your power through our stories, God, the way that you meet us in our darkest moments and show up when we need you most. I pray that through hearing my story, these students have felt your presence in their own life, God, in the ways that you've been there for them and will continue to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. you all. Let's stand and uh, let's respond together.